You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. Here we go. I have a bad feeling about this. Follow me, boys! You're not shinies anymore. Go, go, go! everyone and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Clone Wars Strikes Back. This is the podcast where we go back and we look at all of the episodes of Star Wars The Clone Wars. We celebrate the five-year history of the Emmy Award-winning show. My name is Dominic and joining me on this episode is my co-host, Kieran. How are you doing today, Kieran? I'm very good, Dominic. How about yourself? Oh, I'm excellent. I'm excited about this. I'm excited to go back and, and look at the series. And, uh, Part, part of what we'll do on, on this show is we'll bring on a guest or a panel of guests to, to help us discuss. And here, uh, the first guest that we'll ever have, we have Chris Lynn joining us. Chris, how are you today? I'm good. I'm very honored to be the first guest on what promises to be a, a really good show. Yeah. I think um, Clone Wars has really proved itself as a key piece of Star Wars. And it's nice to see something different coming out rather than just episode seven numbers. Let's go back and look at what we know and what, what we've already got. So, yeah. Yeah. And that, that's really what what the show is about. We have this sort of downtime where there is nothing other than episode 7 rumors or yeah. little bits of news that will be coming in the next little little while there that there's no real content. And so that's sort of what this show is about. It's about filling that void up until I guess till Star Wars Rebels really and then who knows beyond that. But it seems like the best best time to do it really after yeah. Clone Wars is seemingly finished or there will be no more episodes airing on Cartoon Network for sure anyway so it's a great time to go and look back at what's been a fantastic series and reflect on some of our or some of the highlights exactly yeah um so first things first um we want to let you guys know how we all got into the series how we were first introduced to the series so so Kieran how how, how what is your first memory of Star Wars the Clone Wars like hearing about it seeing the movie I don't know well, it was actually quite interesting because I had one of my older friends and it was something that I hadn't really heard of uh, until my friend mentioned it and said, oh, do you want to go and see this Star Wars movie? I was like, was it a Star Wars movie? I didn't really know what to expect of it. And I think it was quite a good time after it had come out, but it was still out in the cinema. And so we went down to watch it, and I, I didn't really know what to expect, I have to say, because it was Star Wars The Clone Wars. I'd, I'd seen the, the older series, um, and I, I thought this would actually just be a movie. I thought it was going to cover from the end of Episode 2 to the beginning of Episode 3. And went, went and saw the movie, and I thought it was fantastic. Uh, it was, thought it was a great piece of Star Wars. It had some of the, as we'll go on to talk about, some of the old classic music was introduced there. You had some of the actors who were actually in the films playing some of the roles, new actors as well, new characters. It was it was different, but it was something that I was very much into. And from that point on, I wanted to learn a lot more about it. And then I found out there was a TV series. And really, since that, since that point on, I've been following it ever since. 
Yeah, I, I had I had a I had a very similar experience to you. I, I didn't really know it was happening uh, because at the, at the time around 2008, I was sort of in a phase where I kind of wanted to get away from Star Wars. I kind of wanted to distance myself, and and in sort of in one of these, you know, breakdown moments and go back to the old habits. I checked StarWars.com, and there were all these trailers for this this new movie. And I thought, what? There's a I I I had no idea, and so I, when I went and saw it. Um, I didn't realize there was going to be a series either. So I, I was like, yeah, I thought it was going to go from episode two to episode three. And the movie ends and, you know, Ahsoka is still alive. Anakin still has a Padawan. There's all these unanswered questions. I'm like, what is going on? There has to be a sequel. Somebody tell me there's a sequel. There's, there's got to be a sequel. <laughs> Turns out there were hundreds of sequels, really, if we think about it, um, in the series. Um, so, Chris, how about you? What was your first experience with the, with the Clone Wars like? Yeah, first I heard of well, I'd, I'd seen the original the uh, the Tartakovsky series. I think I saw that shortly after Revenge of the Sith was in cinemas. I sort of came across that one, and I could be mistaken on the, the timing of this, but I think it was shortly after that that Lucas himself announced they were going to do a, a CG remake of that show. So I, I was following this from from the very beginning and very excited and speculating. It was sort of between 2005 and 2008. It was very similar to the time we're in now, speculating about Rebels and and Episode Seven. So by the time 2008 finally came around, I was edging my seat, really busting to see it, and uh, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So you got the full build up to it. We were sort of, <laughs> we were sort of thrown in at the last minute, and yeah, yeah. yeah I remember seeing the first trailers coming out, and they they showed off a few of the maquettes. I think we saw like Anakin's head and Yoda's head and Palpatine's. They weren't even colored, just the, the clay builds of those, and I think, what is this new style? What, what on earth is this? And then it. It really proves itself, and you actually got in there to, to see the the, the, uh, the actual final animation. Nice uh, to prove just how how out of it I was. I, I saw the trailer um, before I went and saw the movie. I just sort of looked it up online, and I thought Ahsoka was shocked T, and I thought, oh, that's cool. They're gonna have this other Jedi, and they're she's gonna go on the mission with them. Oh, that's kind of cool. And then they introduce her in the movie. I'm like, what? That's oh, ooh, that's cool. Uh, so that was a that was a big surprise for me. So um, on this episode, we're going to cover the first three stories, shall we say? It's a bit of a longish arc, and that's made up of Cat and Mouse, the Hidden Enemy, and the Clone Wars movie. Um, of course, Cat and Mouse is season two episode. Hidden Enemy is a season one episode, and then the movie is the movie. Um, so we're going to sort of try and on the show we're going to try and follow a chronological order. For the most part, I think there'll be some times where we'll have to, to jump around just for the, the benefit of discussion and story. Um, but for the most part, we're going to go in chronolo- chronological order and arc by arc. Uh, so, Kieran, why don't you start off by giving us a, a brief summary of what happened in Cat and Mouse, in case anybody's forgotten. Yeah, uh, just before I do that, any people who are actually listening to this, this is going to be a spoiler podcast. So. Oh, yes. If you are listening to this, hoping not to be spoiled about any future episodes, turn off now. <laughs> yeah, that's that's part of the the benefit of doing this now, when the series is, for all intents and purposes, over, is that we have the benefit of hindsight and we can look back and and see things that were set up early on in these episodes and that played out over the next five years. And yeah, so this is the podcast is meant for people who who already love the show and and just want to keep celebrating it as we move forward. And we don't don't want to let the memory uh, of it die, basically. So, cat and mouse, what have you got for us? Yeah. 
at a mouse, uh, summed up as it, it was a separatist blockade which surrounded the planet Christophsis, and Anakin's fleet is tasked with deploying relief supplies to the surface, but they are massively outgunned and outmaneuvered by the skillful Admiral Trench. Obi-Wan arrives and he unveils his or the Republic's new secret weapon, which was a stealth ship, and it was the last hope of besting Trench and aiding the battered people of Christophsis. The episode was directed by Kyle Dunleavy, and it originally aired March 20th, 2010. And the actual fortune cookie for the episode was a wise leader knows when to follow. Yeah. So this episode, we were were introduced to Trench, who was this um, spidery villain. And I have to say, Trench is is one of my favorite villains um, from the show, just because he sort of had a bit more... I don't know if honor is the right term you want to put with a villain or he seemed more cunning in that he wasn't going to run away at the first sign of trouble like you got with Grievous or Ventress as he, you know, he stayed in in his ship right up until the last moment when the the torpedo hit it and we thought he died. Uh, If you've seen that trailer for the bonus content, you know he's still out there. So um, I want to ask you guys, what did you guys uh, think of Admiral Trench? Uh, Kieran, why don't you go first? Admiral Trench, he was, he was very different. The whole concept around him was particularly different because he, he did exactly. He had that spider-like, um, he actually, like the um, he looked like a spider for one. <laughs> and he also had nuances which acted like a spider. And it, it seemed different to what we've usually see on Star Wars in that respect. I know we've seen all these aliens, but it was, it was familiar and unfamiliar at the same time. But the actual voice of Trench, I thought, was particularly... Well, would have been frightening if you were uh, a child, in my opinion. And I think he was, as you said, he was particularly cunning, but he also was pretty terrifying in a way. And that's what made him particularly different and something that I really enjoyed about was that we had this different villain. And as we know he's coming back, he didn't seem like he was going to be one of those villains that was going to be there for one episode and we're never going to see him again. A lot of, at, Until we've seen the bonus content, we thought that was going to be the case. But the reaction um, that many of the fans had to Trench was that they wanted to see him again. And, and there was actually a lot of discussion about what has happened to Trench. And I think that goes to show how popular the villain was amongst many of the Star Wars fans. Yeah, and there was that that precedent that he survived um, these type of events before. We heard you, Lauren, in the episode talking about uh, you know how he'd faced Trench before, and he always and he thought he had killed them basically, and and yet he was able to make it out. Um, Chris, what were what were your thoughts on, on Admiral Trench? I have quite like a mixed feeling on Trench, and even. No, that episode you said was 2010, so I still haven't quite sorted my head on Trench. So see if you can follow along with, with this rambling. But I don't really like spiders in any way, shape, or form. A bit of arachnophobia. They really creep me out. But Trench doesn't creep me out in any way. I know he's spider-like, but I kind of feel like they don't use any of the spiders. You don't see all the arms moving at once. You don't get to see that sort of creepy, segmented body. So I'm kind of looking at it like, oh, I wish there was more of a spider to it. But then at the same time... If there had been, I wouldn't have liked him at all. <laughs> Do you sure. know what I mean? Sure. 
Sure. Yeah, I, I see. What, I see what you're saying. He was. He was. He just wasn't. I guess. I guess what you're saying. He wasn't scary enough. You don't. You don't think. Yeah, he was he's enough of he, a villain. The, the face is spidery and it's creepy, but really, that beyond that, you've just got a guy with three sets of arms, sort of just standing there. But in terms of, as you guys were saying, though, like as a as a villain and a strategist and just something a little bit different from the typical sort of Nemoidian or a, the tactic droid kind of thing. Yeah, it was definitely very fresh and, and fun to see. I just wish they'd done more with maybe even just particularly his animation. Mm. And maybe that's something we'll see when when he reappears in the bonus content. Yeah. Certainly, exactly. I think. His appearance in the bonus content has a, has the potential to do that, just because you yeah. know it's the animation is now would would be four seasons ahead of where it was at this point when this episode yeah. first aired, so they can do more. And he looks in that clip like he's got a lot of sort of robo arms and and stuff that you know could be very creepy. And, and I've for one that 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 captured my imagination when when he showed up again. I hope that we get some kind of explanation as to how he survived. Although, in typical Star Wars fashion, I, I kind of expect that that will be one of those those mysteries that's alluded to, but yeah. never actually uh, a story told. Um, so it's a bit it, like with um, Darth Maul, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. It's his. Yeah. You know, how he survived is a bit unclear. Maybe you know it could make a great comic someday. You know, like uh, the dark sort of how. Yeah. The, the logistics of how Darth Maul survived was was sort of explained in a Clone Wars uh, comic book. Of you know, you saw the flashback of him falling down the chute and the ship taking him to Lotha Minor, and and you know the rest of the stuff is you know inferred about how he survived using the dark side. Um, mm. Yeah, cool. And uh, in this episode, we we did get to see a bit of this like Anakin disobeying Obi Wan. It really you know builds on what we saw in attack of the clones that anakin really follows his um you know his own path he doesn't you know obi-wan says just take the ship and go down and deliver the supplies you know bail organa is saying the iconic line help us general kenobi you're our only hope uh, and all of that um and we see anakin just ignore that and attack trench um so do you guys think this was sort of but this was just Anakin uh, being a good guy, or do you think this had sort of darker shades to him about how he was more interested in killing Trench than delivering the relief supplies? Well, I think it didn't. I, oh, sorry, you go ahead, Chris. Well, I was just going to say that I think if you compare Anakin Skywalker and Attack of the Clones to Anakin Skywalker in the Clone Wars, particularly like the Clone Wars movie in the, in the first half of season one. He, he becomes suddenly this much more rounded character. He learns to hold back. You know, he's, he's not going to rush in and have his arm cut off by Duke a second time kind of thing. And I think this episode, Cat and Mouse does a really good job of, of bridging that transformation. Of, you know, he doesn't have the responsibility of the Padawan yet. Um, and he's, he's disobeying orders. He's still very headstrong. I, I, I don't know that he's more focused on, I want to kill Trench so much as... He is just very sort of prideful at this stage, and he thinks he can solve all his problems with a lightsaber or a missile. And he's he's yet to develop that as he sort of learns the lessons of the first half of the first season. Sort of picks up his responsibility a lot more. Yeah, I think it's an example of early Anakin Skywalker, as you said, from Attack of the Clones. You have to imagine that when he is in Cat and Mouse. I know when it aired, it was season two, but it's actually Anakin from Attack of the Clones. So, as you said, without this, without his Padawan, he's really just 
all about himself. He is clearly wants to uh, develop his own image. He wants to be one of the great Jedi's. He, it's all clear that he's envious of Obi-Wan, Mace Windu and Yoda. He wants to be what they are. And so he wants he wants to be great. And he sees that doing great things is is the way of doing it. The way of attacking and killing Trench is going to earn a lot more credit than delivering supplies to the people of Christophsis. So he is very much self-motivated at this point. He's clearly thinking about himself, in my opinion, more than he is thinking of um, others because he, he's not in that position yet. He hasn't got someone to look after. He's all about himself and his own personal image. Yeah, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. He, um, he thinks... Uh, we see in episode one, he, you know, he thinks of the Jedi as really heroic. And I think part of what we didn't see between episodes one and two is a bit of a, a disenfranchisement where he sort of realizes that the life of the Jedi is not really what he thought it was. And so this war is almost to him a blessing that he'll be able to be that hero he, he always wanted to be. And he can almost he can fast track that and like you guys said, this was a, a way of doing it. It's it is a it's a selfish thing. So in a way, it's not necessarily dark in oh let's kill Trench. It's dark in that he's he's thinking inward only about them only about himself, um, mm. as he might say in episode three. Um, in, in this episode, we had uh, Bail Organa deliver the line, "Help us, General Kenobi. You're our only hope." Uh, and this is one that. I've heard a lot of a lot of fans have really really liked this uh, line. They thought it was a cool callback. Um, personally, personally, I, I didn't care for it. I, I I don't mind you know references to other lines uh, throughout the throughout the saga in the in the series uh, by by any means. But I sort of held that line uh, as a such a on a for lack of a better term sacred level that. Mm-hmm. Only Princess Leia should be able to say that line, and when I saw it in the in the trailer for the episode, I was so, oh no, please don't, no, don't say that. You're not allowed <laughs> to say that. Um, I don't know, am, am I crazy on this, or 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 do you guys uh, agree uh, with me? Yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from, and it is definitely one of the. It's a major line. It's not even a quiet nod or a reference. It's a it's like a direct copy of the original movie and one of the key lines. So it's you can't use that lightly. But um, on the other hand, I think my take, it's one of the ones I actually don't mind because it's sort of, that that's, people are going to raise Leia, you know, so it's it's that family's way of speaking, it's it's Alderani way of, of formal address, maybe, you know, it, if any two people are going to repeat a line, <laughs> it's Leia in that situation and Bale in that one, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. It, it fits for me better than some of the others, but. I, I do see where you're coming from, sure. and yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't think of it that way as, you know, if that is like it might be a family kind of thing of, of this is how we speak yeah. in our family and you know if it has to be one character i guess bail organa is is the one to say it but i, I or maybe padme but I, I still i still held it as something that i only wanted to hear leia say it's like i don't want any other characters to be going around saying no i am your father kind of thing um yeah kieran what do you think well i could see where you're coming from particularly when this was a time when a lot of old Star Wars lines were actually being used in episodes. And so you get to this as well, and it's like, oh, not again. Because you don't want to recycle the old lines. They're special in the movies. You don't always have to 
repeat the lines. I know they're trying to make it as a nuance to the older fans, but we don't need that. I think we know, to show that, we, we know exactly when a line from the old movies is inserted into the episodes. And we, it takes me out a little bit. And I can see exactly what you mean when Bail Organa says that. Uh, another example is in the Clone Wars movie that I saw recently was when um, Dooku is talking with Ventress on a hologram and Ventress goes and says, I will double my efforts. And then Dooku says, I hope so for your sake. Now, we all know that's from the, the Empire Strikes Back. Return of the Jedi. It is from the, no, no, Return. <laughs> we all know it's from one of the Star Wars movies. No, the, the rest of us know it's Return of the Jedi. Good. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, in my mind, it was Empire, right? Okay, forget what I just said. <laughs> no, but the point is, it doesn't matter the movie. The point is, it's the, it's the line. I, we recognised the line, and it took me out of it. And, I, and sometimes it can work if it's subtle, but most of the time, you you know when the line's been inserted in there. So I don't think you're totally crazy. Okay, good, good, yeah. I mean, you know, I do like you said. I do like it sometimes when they throw them in there. Like in uh, well, we'll get to it in se- season two uh, when when Cad Bane is escaping. Uh, in uh, that the, that opening trilogy, he's escaping and he's taking a starfighter, and Yularen yells, "No, shut them all down!" You know, which is the callback to mm-hmm. the three three PO. I, I like that one because they seem to be. It was it was very subtle. It's not an obvious line. I, yeah, that I guess that was be my issue is the really obvious lines like, "Help me, Obi Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope." Mm-hmm. Um. So. Uh, those are sort of the things that stand out to me in Cat and Mouse. Uh, is there anything you guys, anything in particular that, that stands out to you guys in this episode? Well, I don't know what you guys think of it as... I know it, the Clone Wars movie was the first thing they put out there, and the first thing we saw of the Clone Wars, but how would you guys rate this as watching it through chronologically, start of the story? Was I, I, think, for, for, I think as the start of the story, this one, this works pretty well. Um, I, I have some issues with the next one being placed where it is, but I definitely think this one works fairly well. Like we said, you, know, you get that episode two, Anakin, you get reminded of, of what he was like with this, you know, he wants to be the hero at, at all costs. He doesn't necessarily listen to Obi-Wan. Uh, it's before he has a Padawan, all of that kind of stuff. It's a, it's a big action, uh, set piece uh, or, or it's, well, it, it, there's a lot of action, but it's also, you know, it's almost a bit of a thriller submarine type movie. So uh, I, I think it works very well as a as an introduction. It sets up, you know, it reminds us of Anakin and Obi Wan, and it sets up Admiral Yularen, who was a, a pretty important character for the first two three seasons. Yeah, I think this would probably be a better way of if this is actually going to be part of the movie to insert this part in because it. It introduces Anakin properly, introduces Obi-Wan and, and their two characters, and it properly introduces Admiral Yularen uh, into the episode, and you get to see the beginning of the relationship between Yularen and Anakin that I don't believe you get in the movie. And I think the only problem that I ever had with this was when it was aired, really. It was really confusing that they had to put this in season two. Well, obviously, we're doing it in chronological now, but it, I think it's, it's a really, really good episode. And I think the music in this episode is exceptional as well. 
particularly with the bombers scene, if you remember that, yeah. when it really does get tense um, and, and you're not sure, or they're not sure what to do, whether they should uncloak or they should stay cloaked. And you can really feel that. And I feel that uh, Kevin Kiner's music there is uh, exceptional. And I could definitely see this fitting in with the movie. As you say, I'm, I'm with you, Dominic, that there's a couple of bits with a hidden enemy that um, I don't think really um, follow on straight from this one onto the next one uh, as well. I'd rather have Cat and Mouse and then the movie rather than uh, elements that were in Hidden Enemy, which were a bit um, forced, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that that's it for, for Cat and Mouse for now. Of course, you know, we may come back to it as... You know, as the conversation moves along, uh, but so the next episode chronologically is the hidden enemy, and uh, Kieran, what can you tell us about the hidden enemy? Yeah, uh, the summary of the episode hidden enemy: Anakin and Obi Wan discover evidence of a traitor amongst their ranks while attempting to lead Republic forces to liberate the planet of Christophsis from a separatist siege. Someone has set the Republic up, and the Jedi suspect it being the Sith while Rex and Cody uncover information that points to a spy among their ranks. Yeah. The fortune cookie for the episode guide is truth enlightens the mind but won't always bring happiness to your heart. And the episode was directed by Stuart Lee and it originally aired 6th of February 2009. Yeah. So this was, uh, you know, this is from season one now. So we're, we're still telling stories out of order. Um, but it is a little bit closer to to the beginning. Um, so the the number one thing we see in this is a clone trooper turn code, and I think that this this whole idea that there's a clone trooper who is so disenfranchised with what is going on, uh, with the way the war is going, I, I think it's a it's a really cool idea. I think it's something that I'm glad they addressed on the show. But my issue is that it is the second episode chronologically. And I think that what it would have carried more weight as we're doing this rewatch, if it had have been placed later on in the series, even, you know, even if it was just, if it's sort of the same story on a different planet, same place in season one, I think it would have carried even more weight there than it does um, here. And if you wanted it to be an even heavier story, then you could have gone with something like after the Embara arc. Um, it would have played very well there, I think. Um, but so it's it just comes across to me that we haven't had a chance to really see the clones in action, to really see the clones going down uh, and dying and, and all of that um, to the point that in chronologi- is, chronologically speaking, that is because you know if we go episode by episode by episode, then yeah, we have, but but not so much of in the chronological sense. Um, what do you guys think? Do you guys think this would have this episode would have benefited from being placed somewhere else in the timeline, or do you think it works well where it is? Uh, uh, Chris, why don't you go ahead with this one? Okay, well, I think I can see this one both ways. I think I, I, I totally get where you're coming from in that it, it's throwing you this sort of this heavy curveball of clones aren't necessarily loyal and going to follow orders, and they can go as far as to each other, and it's a huge weight to, to sort of have to deal with when, when watching it chronologically, you haven't seen much of the character building yet. I mean, we haven't seen the Clone Wars movie, you know, we've barely gotten to know Captain Rex or Cody. You know, the only way you're going to know Cody is if you've seen episode three already, you know. Um, 
But on the other side of the coin, so if you look at, and this is getting ahead of ourselves, but if we're looking at all the clone stories across the five seasons, the Captain Rex story, Rex keeps having these interactions with characters. He meets the, the deserter, the guy that just left, and he has to go through the whole um, bar arc with Krell, and is it okay to disobey an order? And I think having that experience that early on just gets Rex's story started and going. Mm-hmm. You know, so that is the direction Rex is going to go in. It's a lot of foreshadowing, and I think in hindsight, it's better. But I, I definitely agree on the, the sort of the flow when you you don't really know enough clones for it to have the weight at once. I, I definitely get that. Yeah, I, uh, I see where where you're coming from in that it's a uh, you know it places that idea in in Rex's mind that maybe yeah. the Jedi aren't all aren't what they're what they what they're made out to be uh, very early in in the series and. and so to quote one of my favorite TV shows, other than the Clone Wars, uh, Sherlock, you know, you can't kill an idea. Uh, yeah. So I, I like what you're saying in that sense. I, I just think if it just even had been a little bit later in season one, chronologically, yeah, um, no, like um, where after we had had a chance to see Rex as this soldier who follows orders all the time, and if we had just had it towards the end of season one, chronologically. Um, you know, if, well, yeah, it's, if, it, if its chronological placement was the same as its as its airing exactly. placement, yeah. I think it would have worked uh, even better. Uh, Kieran, what about you? Yeah, I totally agree with you guys. Uh, there, there are problems with it because of where it's placed. And also within the storyline, it seems to be a secondary thread, almost a subplot. Mm. If, you, if you look at it as, as a whole arc, the cat and mouse hit an enemy in Clone Wars movie, then it's, it's really about Christosis. And I know there's, this is the, it seems like an underlying theme when really, a bit like the Embara arc, this could have been an arc on its own, just talking about the turncoat and the actual clones. I mean, half of this episode is about that, and then you've got the other half with Anakin and Obi-Wan fighting Ventress, and it, I don't like that. I, I didn't like Ventress being on Christophsis um, because it, at, at the time... It was very ambiguous as to whether this episode was supposed to be before Christophsis, after. Uh, you had to read up about it on StarWars.com to find out. And I just didn't like that Ventress was there from the beginning. It, it, it didn't seem to make uh, particularly the meetings with Anakin and Obi-Wan later um, as good, in my opinion. I think it, it, I, I didn't like that particularly. And that, that's the main problem I have with the whole turncoat is that yeah. it is a subplot rather than the main plot. Yeah, I, I can agree. I agree with you there that it, it really, like, like I said, it could be, like you said, it could be a, its own story. Um, I, although I do disagree about Ventress. I think I, I love the the interaction that she had with with Obi Wan and Anakin, and I, and I really, I, I think that that helped set up her and Obi-Wan's storyline later on as we get into season four when they team up to fight Darth Maul. I think some of that banter, um, you know, wouldn't have carried the same weight if we had only seen them uh, meet up once before, uh, which would have been, I guess, in... where they had really had banter, which would have been in the movie, because when they fight in, in Night Sisters, there's there's no banter. They just sort of go at it. Uh, and, and these... The two fights in the movie and in Hidden Enemy, I think, really establish this sort of rapport that they have, that they're able to k- carry on when they are sort of allies by convenience later on in the series. So I, I really enjoyed that aspect of the story. Um, it was, you know, it was, you know, I think the thing about the Hidden Enemy is I love the episode. 
It's just when you think about it afterwards and, and all the things that could have been just a little bit different and would have just made it that much better. Um, that's the thing about the hidden enemy. Uh, one thing, I, 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 another, just to keep going back to the clones, because I think this is a, a great clone-centric uh, episode. We also meet the clone trooper who is collecting battle droid fingers. And I was wondering what you guys thought of this, because it, it seems like such a, a creepy thing to do. Um, and yet, you can almost understand his, his logic to it when he says, you know, I, want some, I wanted something back. Like, I wanted to take something back from them after they had killed, you know, all of his brothers. Um, what do you guys think of the whole, of the, the little battle droid fingers scene in there, uh, Kieran? Yeah, that was very, very strange. It was very different, and it, it really helped give the clones more of a personality and to show that they were all unique and they weren't the same. And there was also threads of, um, because obviously they were um, contained uh, DNA from Django Fett, you, you could kind of see how a bounty hunter would do something similar to that. Mm. They would take something from... Like like Boba Fett with bounty. his Wookiee pellets. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you can kind of see the threads of that in there. Yeah. Uh, if you put it into real world terms, that is pretty weird. It's like taking somebody else's fingers. Well, I, I don't know if it's necessarily like taking someone else's fingers. I think it might be a, a little bit more like taking the enemy's hat, hat or their, their badge or something. Um, which is, you know, yeah, it's still kind of creepy. It's a droid finger. It's so a droid finger. That's, that's yeah. what, when, I, when I saw that and I, I thought of it, I thought, oh, that's kind of wrong in a way. But I suppose if, if it is taking, like, someone's hat, then you know, I can see where you're coming from. But in my opinion, I just it, – it's very intriguing, and I do like it. It's, it's obviously there as well as, as a plot, plot uh, device. Mm-hmm. In terms of making us think that he's the one who's uh, the bad guy in all of this, yeah. But yeah, it was very, very strange, and it, it would have been nice if they touched a bit more on it because it was there for about a minute, and then, and then suddenly it just went on to slick. So I think they used it as a plot device, but it would have been more interesting if they went in more detail about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, any any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I've, I just really enjoyed hearing your thoughts on that. I've sort of thought about that one before and sort of looked at it as why take their fingers? And yeah, there's the question of so the Clone Wars really tries to personalise the droids, even like R2 obviously always has personality in Star Wars but the Clone Wars really personalises the battle droids, so there's the question of, should we be looking at that as, as looking at fingers? Have they taken fingers away from these guys? And they sort of given the idea of, maybe it's just a trophy, it is like taking the enemy's hat or their badge or maybe you had a sort of more extreme take on it, even if they're trigger fingers, you're actually talk, stopping the enemy's ability to shoot back at you. What I think is a bit odd about it is when I can't remember the clone's name, sorry, but he's like, I just wanted something back, I think is the line, or I want to take something back from what he's taken from me. Does a battle droid care if it loses its fingers? If it's already scrapped? <laughs> yeah. I don't quite get what he's taking back, but yeah, it's... I think they're cool enough. It's yeah. And yeah, the, the idea of the you know, bounty hunters collect, you can see the, the fats collecting the, the Jedi brains or the wiki pelts and yeah, it just adds a bit more depth to the clone character, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I liked what you were you were saying there about what are they really taking back, and and it it really raises this whole question um, about this war, in that it it's a bunch of clones versus a bunch of droids, so there really aren't that many, um, you know, I, you know, 
quote unquote sentience in, in the in the war. I mean, the clones are, are sentience, but they're not. Yeah, it's like how would it, you you couldn't imagine clones would ever start taking things personally. You know, how do you get personal when a computer does something to you? Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. But yeah, mm. that's one of the questions you have to ask of, of maybe every episode. It's just how how they deal with those, those sort of those questions. Yeah, because you know, I mean, I can understand them, you know, being angry that computers are, are, are killing their their brothers and i can understand that them wanting to take something back and and maybe the the droid fingers are symbolic of that but but like you said the droid you know chopping off a droid's fingers isn't exactly like chopping off a you know a, a human's finger uh, yeah. in, in what you're saying there um so that's all that's that's what i really had to say about um the hidden enemy um i did love seeing rex and cody work together um I, I thought that was very cool. Uh, is there anything you guys would like to add about the hidden enemy? Yeah, well, I, I don't think the episode's perfect for the stuff we've discussed already, but there are definitely things I do like about that episode. I th- the opening sequence where they're they're in the tower and they realize they're in the wrong tower and they have to grapple across because it's, it's been betrayed, I think it's a fantastic action sequence, especially for that early on in the show. I mean, we're talking about like the 17th, 16th episode, something like that. 16th episode, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was brilliant, and I actually I really love that lightsaber fight at the end between Ventress and, and the two Jedi, and that sort of weird flirty way she has with Obi Wan is really very entertaining. It's a good episode, sort of on its own, yeah. but I don't, as you guys have been alluding to, I don't think it flows with this arc. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those episodes that when when you watch it, you get all caught up in it, but afterwards you kind of think, yeah. wait a minute. <laughs> That, that said, though, there are things that do tie nicely into both episodes. You know, especially the fact that he destroys all their tanks, he destroys all the walkers, and they're only left with guns, and that's why in the movie it was just guns, because that didn't really make sense when you saw the film the first time. That, that's cool, and that's clever. Um, then just being in it and disappearing off in that weird squid ship. I mean, that's just a nice touch to show you where in the time it is. So you, you necessarily don't have to go look it up and go, oh, okay, so this is before she must have gone off to get the hotlet kind of thing. Yeah. Um, what I question about the whole episode is why did it need to be a prequel? Why couldn't we have the turncoat story just later on? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's just, that's the same. That, that's my question about the episode as well, pretty much. Uh, Kieran, what about you? Uh, the hidden end. Uh, yeah, I was going to add something actually. I was going to say, what, what did you think about the comments that this uh, turncoat Slick was making when he goes and says, "I'm not the traitor, you are." And he goes on and says that they're just bl- blindly following orders, and that he says, he, in his own way, he loves his brothers, but he believes that they're too blind to see it. And I think that's quite interesting from my point. I think that's kind of enlightening at how some clones think of their situation. And I know Chris alluded to it earlier about when Rex meets the deserter. You can already see elements of the clones questioning about their actual life. And I just wondered what your opinions were on um, Slick's comments there. Yeah, I, I think that he has some very interesting comments. Uh, I, I don't know necessarily if he if he's really thought through his plan. Um, if, if he wants to punish the Jedi, if he wants to, you know, he, you know make it so that they're going to lose... Um, and ultimately, the Jedi, I guess he hopes, will will die in the battle, and that's basically what he's trying to do. Um, he seems to be willing to sacrifice a, a lot of his brothers, uh, but not himself. 
you know, if it was one thing, it would be one thing if he went up and tried to kill Obi-Wan. But instead, we see him try to kill Captain Rex, or, or, or Commander Cody. I, I, I'm blanking on which one he tries to kill here. Um, so he sort of, he seems like he he wants to do something. He wants to strike back, but he just doesn't know how to do it, and he goes about it uh, all the wrong way to, to gain any sympathy, when really what he should have been doing is going after the Jedi um, directly or, or trying to put the Jedi in situations where they're going to die um, by themselves because they're cut off from their clone troopers. Um, instead, he seems to be willing to, to let a lot of his, his, his fellow clones die for his quest. Uh, I don't know. What about you, Chris? Yeah, well, I, I like what you're saying in terms of he maybe hasn't fully thought this through. and I wonder even... Has Ventress poisoned his mind to some extent to make him think that? The whole idea that the others are the traitors just doesn't really hold true for me. I mean, it, the life of a clone, you're, you're, you're born in a tomb and you're, you're programmed and you're trained and your whole life is following orders. So surely to go off and think of your own as a traitor to what you are. Mm-hmm. I, I don't get what they're traitors to. And that's why I think there's an element of, of Slick where he's just He's not in his right mind. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting idea that, uh, that Ventress would have poisoned his mind. Um, you know, whether it's uh, you know it's, you know just a little bit of a mind trick because we, we see in Good, the new yeah, hope yeah. that they can fall for the mind tricks. But it, it, it like like you said, he doesn't. Like, he, I've completely forgotten what I was going to say. <laughs> Hate it when that happens. <laughs> um, yeah, I, yeah. You know, I like the idea that Ventress poisons his mind. Let's leave it at that unless I can... Oh, can you jump in? Yeah, go for it. Can you see where he's coming from when he goes and says that he wanted freedom? Because in a way, they are slaves to the Republic, and later on they're slaves to the Emperor. I mean, when, yeah. they're, born, when they're born into into existence, that's all they know. That That's all they, they've been taught and basically been indoctrinated to do. And that is to serve. Yeah. So I, I can I can see where he's coming from when he says that he wants freedom, and I agree totally with both of you. And how he's gone about it is completely wrong, and he doesn't really know what he's doing in that respect. But his concept that the clones are slaves, I, I can empathise with that really. Yeah, de- yeah. definitely. Um, this kind of. I think I sort of remember my point now. You kind of, you know, jolted my memory there. Uh, he, um, you know, they're born into this and they don't know anything else. And he's sort of one of the first ones to think of something else. And he wants other people to to think the way he does. He's, you know, he is a, a radical. He, he he just, you know, he knows what he wants and he thinks everybody should also want what he wants. And he's willing to to do anything. And Maybe part of his plan um, in letting some of, of the other clones die is to show them that, you know, show the surviving ones that, you know, the Jedi aren't really helping you. They're just, they, they're using you as cannon fodder. So, you know, like you said, I can I can empathize with the idea, uh, uh, with everything he's saying. And to an extent, I kind of agree with him. I agree with his with his, his motives, but, but not his actions. No, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, and another question that I had was, what do you think that Captain Rex actually took from this? I would say Cody as well, but it's clear in episode three that 
he still follows orders, and I, I don't I don't think he takes too much about this uh, turncoat as they call it. But how do you think that would have actually affected Rex, um, particularly? what we see later on and Chris again you alluded to it how he how he does see these different clones rather than just the ones who are follow orders and don't question so what do you think um Rex is taking from it yeah go go ahead Chris I I think Rex has one of the most interesting stories just across the five seasons and hopefully into the bonus content as well where it's just he definitely goes from by the book soldier everything down the line to there's clearly grey areas and wiggle room by the time you get to end of season four even. And I think where this fits into that overall Rex story arc is this is probably the first Seeds of Doubt is how I would take that. I'd say, and I'm speculating on it, but if you're Captain Rex, you probably look at this and go, Slick was terrible, that's ridiculous, can't believe that's happened, not on, and you get on with things from there. It's probably not having a dramatic effect on Rex, but it's definitely going to be the first Seeds. It means next time something like this happens. You know, he's he's already got those elements of doubt. He's, he's seen this kind of thing before, and it probably gives more weight to the, the deserter story later on. Yeah, def- definitely. Uh, ex- uh, I I thought it, you said it, Chris. You know, um, it was, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think you know, great minds think alike here. Um, I, yeah. I agree with you. And these two. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with you 100%. You know, it's, you know he'll, he'll walk away from this, you know, not really think anything of it, just thinking you know, Slick was completely wrong. But by the time, you know, Krell, him and Krell have their have their standoff, you know, he might think back to this and go, hmm, maybe Slick yeah. was on to something here. And yeah, I would say this does more to him subconsciously than it than you'll see consciously. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. So, I totally agree with you guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it just made me think about it because... The last shot at the end of this episode is when they um, have the camera just on Cody and Rex. And so it did make me think, hmm, I wonder how much it really would have affected them. And I agree with you that it really planted the seeds for future discontent, particularly with Rex. Yeah, I I don't think it it would have the same effect on Cody, just because Cody didn't go on to have the same experiences as Rex. I think Mm -hmm. Rex wound up in a very unique situation being with Anakin. Um, and then, of course, with Krell, um, that he was able to experience a little bit more than Cody would have. And, you know, Rex may have just been unlucky in some senses that, that he wound up in situations where he had to meet Cut LeQuain or, or other clone troopers like that. Um, whereas Cody just ne- – Cody, you know, this happened. Cody, eh, whatever. You know, Slick was bad and he never has – has that kind of stuff questioned again? You know, Cody isn't on a bar, or at least he isn't involved with 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 Krell. He doesn't meet Cut later on um, in the Deserter. He just kind of goes on a normal clone life after that, basically, until Order sixty six is called, and oh my God, the Jedi are evil. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, I think there's, there's something in the expanded universe where they they talk about how the clones sort of take on personality, or at least influence the Jedi they're with, and I think. That doesn't need to be limited to the EU. I, th- I think in any situation where there's people together, they're going to influence each other. So I like what you're saying there. So, you know, Rex is going to approach things and situations more like Anakin will. Not, I'm not saying necessarily like Anakin. He's still Rex and he's his own character. But he's going to be more the Anakin approach, whereas Cody's going to be very much more the Obi-Wan approach. And Anakin's a questioner. Obi-Wan's very much, this is how it is, this is how it's always been, and, and this is what we have to do. Mm-hmm. And- no, I thought that exact same thing as well, Chris, how... It's, 
really intriguing how Rex and Cody really take the personalities of the two Jedi that they serve. You can see how Rex um, very much, uh, not, not exactly mirrors Anakin, but there are elements of Anakin in him that he yeah. doesn't he doesn't just have to follow orders and he doesn't stick to the book. Whereas Cody um, very much follows Obi-Wan. You know, Obi-Wan is very much to the book and he, he does what he's told, follows orders, and he does it to the well best of his ability. And that's what um, Cody's done in that respect, and particularly with Order 66, when Palpatine says, you know, just kill the Jedi. That's what he does, with no question. Whereas you would say, we, we don't know uh, what's going to be in this bonus content, but particularly from the Embara arc, I could see Rex would actually question that and maybe not do it. Well, I suppose it is evident in the Krill arc. He didn't actually kill him, did he? Yeah, he, he, didn't, he didn't kill Krill. Yeah, he thought about it. He definitely thought about it, but he, he I don't know if he could br- really bring himself to do it. And so the other clone had to take the shot for him. And yeah, I, I love what you guys are saying that, you know, they take on the personality of, of who they're, they're met of who they're you know with all the time and like you said that's you know beyond that being an eu idea i think that's just a a human idea yeah that you know i totally agree yeah so um i think uh now is the time to move on to what was really the first introduction we got to the clone wars (laughs) um after 40 minutes and two episodes uh, we finally get to the first real introduction and that is the clone wars movie uh, which came out back in 2008. And, uh, Kieran, tell us about the movie. Yeah, the Clone Wars movie is really the story of Anakin being introduced to his new Padawan, Ahsoka, uh, Ahsoka Tano, who find themselves face-to-face with the crime lord Jabba the Hutt and are instilled with the mission of finding Jabba's son, um, before the Sith, Dooku, and the Separatists uh, get their hands on him. Yeah. So, right away, I think we have to jump in with the big one. Uh, we meet Ahsoka. What were your first, you know, take, travel back to 2008. What was your first impression of Ahsoka Tano when you were first introduced to her in the movie? Uh, Kieran, why don't you go first? That was... Probably one of the biggest shocks of the entire Clone Wars uh, series. Uh, even to this day, I still think, wow. When you go back and first see that, you, you look and you think, how is that possible? Anakin had a pad at one? What? No, this can't be right. Because there's absolutely no mention where in episode three. And then all of a sudden, I think your mind is just blown away. You, you don't really know what to think about at that time and you kind of have to accept it when she's first introduced it seems like she's kind of be the padawan to obi-wan and then it, it seems interesting how the the jedi have really constructed it so that she was actually going to be padawan with anakin instead but that really was one of those moments that you can't really forget when you first see ahsoka on the screen you think wow Wow, what what what's happening here? It's just well, it's, I still think now. Wow. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's just uh, absolute shock. Yeah, uh, Chris, what about you? Yeah, well, before I, I have a question for you both, which is when you first saw the movie, 
and Ahsoka lands on the ship and she walks up and Obi-Wan introduces did either of you guys know at that stage it was Anakin's pad one or was it a shock oh, you it, was a com- it was a complete shock to me like I said in the wow. trailer I thought it was shock T um, so oh, I, course, I was yeah. sort of I was like wait wait a minute wait a minute what now Anakin no Anakin does not have a padawan you know it's like the whole thing you know when George Lucas first told Dave Filoni you know, she's gonna be Anakin's padawan and and, um, yeah. and Dave goes but George Anakin doesn't have a padawan um I think that was you know everybody's reaction right away was wait a minute how is this possible why have we not heard of her and then she what? walks in and it's sort of like okay well this is an interesting this is an interesting twist and you know you can see the intention of of Yoda and Obi Wan is it becomes quite clear that this was them basically plotting to <laughs> you know try and teach Anakin a lesson about about maturity and you know responsibility and not growing attached and you just you see her and she's not in Episode three and so right away the thought was oh she has to die she has yeah. to die and. How is this going to affect him, and how is this going to drive him more and more towards his his dark side um, future that we know is in store for him? And you know, even though she didn't wind up dying, it really, it, in the way that it, it it almost worked even better in, in season five when she walks away from the Jedi because she doesn't trust the Jedi Council. It almost helped set up his uh, his distrust for them in Revenge of the Sith more so than which is so much uh more so of uh, a thing about him going to the dark side than it would have been if she had just died um but yeah i, I was totally stunned by it <laughs> and um you know i i grew fond of her pretty quickly I, i'll definitely say that i, I didn't think I, I didn't think she was annoying I, I thought she was funny with the sky guy and all that stuff um you know, I, you know, I, cause, you know I, I like humor like that. I like Jar Jar and, and things like that. So I, 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 I was. <laughs> I love Jar Jar. Yeah. Um, so I, I was good. You love Jar. Yeah, I, I was yeah. good from her with, with her right from the beginning. Um, Karen, how about you? Did you have any um, inkling that you that she was Anakin's Padawan? No, not not at all. I had no idea she was going to be Anakin's Padawan, and it was like I said, it was an absolute shock that that was going to happen, and. When I first saw it, and uh, I was just getting my head around it, and and went and went along with it, um, I thought actually this is going to be a neat idea, because uh, initially I thought that it was going to span from the end of episode two to the beginning of episode three. So I thought, oh, I see, they're going to they're going to kill her off in this, and then that's going to plant seeds further for Anakin to the dark side. And I thought, oh, this will be interesting. And then right at the end, well, you know, she's still around, and it wasn't as I thought it was going to be leading up to episode three, I thought, what? No, no, this can't be it. We need to know what else is going to happen. And it was really just so surprising when that happened. Uh, but a great surprise and a, and a great addition because now, um, again, I'm having to go back to when I first thought of it. When I first thought, it was like, oh, whatever, it's just a new character. But now I can't see the Star Wars universe without Ahsoka. And I, I've assumed that she's always been in there. And a bit like Captain Rex as well, which I think is, well, it's a great accomplishment by the, the Clone Wars team because, again, a lot of the backlash uh, with the film was, was linked to that, I believe, was that they, they didn't like that Anakin had a Padawan and they didn't want to accept it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the, the reason I asked that question was because I knew going into the movie, and I, I think I'd known for 
a good long while, like at least weeks, if not months, going into the film, I knew Alec was going to have a Padawan. And at first it was, as you guys are saying, what, well, Alec doesn't have a Padawan, that's not right, that doesn't fit. Why isn't that referenced anywhere else? But I'd had my time to make peace with it. I thought Ahsoka was fantastic right from the start. And I know Ashley Eckstein tells us stories about how she got all this bad press in the beginning and fan reaction wasn't great, but I was all for the story from the get-go. The one thing that I was totally wrong about, and this is more than just the movie play going into season one, even season two, I expected at any minute you would have tried and go, this doesn't work, take her away from Anakin. Just get her away from him, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that was sort of how you have to explain it for me. <laughs> um, but no, I've always been a very big Ahsoka fan, and I'll tell you what, you guys know I'm a big collector of the figures, so I, I like to arrange my figures all loose, and it's there's a group of Jedi, and Ahsoka is my centerpiece and, and has been for, for a while now, so awesome. that's how a big piece of Star Wars she is to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I would that's... go as far as to say she's one of my favorite Star Wars characters in, in general after the, the five seasons of yeah. the show and just you know watching her grow and, and seeing all of her stories i think and to to look back at, at where it all started from and to think you know there are people who still think she's just a whiny annoying character because that's what they saw in the movie um and you know we we look back at episode four and and, and luke was really whiny and and everybody accepts that everybody accepts that but when any other character gets whiny and that's the beginning of their story, as it is with Luke. It seems like there's this big backlash. You know, everybody you know doesn't like Hayden in Episode Two because he's, his Anakin is too whiny and you know, emo Anakin, as they say. And, or, and then you get Ahsoka, and she's this whiny little girl, and we don't you don't want that. Um, but I think you have to have that, and you have to to start off that way for the the story to grow. And and this was a question I was going to ask at the end, but I think it bears um, bringing up right now is, do you think that people would have been more accepting of Ahsoka being um, this way in this early um, part of the story, if the show had have debuted on television rather than in the movie theater? Um, You know, this is a bit of, you know, revisionist history, like what would have happened if, um, uh, Kieran, what do you think? Did Did the series suffer from the theatrical release or, it's really difficult to say and answer that question, but it's a very, very good question. Um, would it have suffered? I think it was better that it was in the theatre because I think it gave it a lot more credibility in terms of canon than if it had started on the television because obviously there was the Tartakovsky series beforehand and I think up to that point a lot of people had accepted that as canon. And then when this comes along and it's in the theatre you assumed in that Star Wars, and I, I took that as meaning that's what happened. So I, I think, it's, but in terms of uh, Ahsoka's introduction, um, I still think there would have been a similar backlash on the television, to be honest. Um, in terms of the format, I don't think it would have made much a difference. Uh, but I can see where you're coming from, as more people would have seen it in the theatres than probably it, when it first aired on the television. So... Uh, yeah, I'm on the fence on that. I, I, I'm not really sure if there would have been any any major difference. Yeah, I, I'm going I'm going to go and say that there wouldn't have been any difference if it if it had aired on the television. Uh, okay. I'm going to totally disagree, and not just for fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I just feel like you're talking about different stages to to display something. 
you know, when you put Star Wars in the cinema, the expectation is A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. And I think the prequels suffered enough with not being, like I love the prequels, but with not being the same standard as the original movies. And I think that The Clone Wars was absolutely stunning and a fantastic looking show, especially by the end. But what you have to appreciate about that is it was fantastic and stunning for television. You know, as much as I love The Clone Wars, I think it's one of the best shows ever. At every step of the way, the animation pales in comparison to, say, a Pixar. And if you're going to put it up on the big screen, it's going to get criticized a lot harsher than than it should be. Mm. And I think you will have had the fans or the casual fans or the guys that have taken their kids, used to like Star Wars, and they'll see this. I, I want to call it okay on average. I know it's, it's not in my opinion, but it probably is to the casual fan. It's it's an okay piece of Star Wars. The animation isn't at cinema quality, and it probably put people off then watching the show. Whereas if you're channel hopping and you scroll across and you're halfway through this episode, and hey, that's Obi-Wan, those are clones. This is on my TV. This is fantastic. That same material. I think it, I think people end up expecting too much of it by putting it in the cinema. Yeah, I, I think I think you you hit on it there. Is that he, by by putting it in the movie theater, people expect it instantly yep. to stand up with um, episode four. And to go back to the the whininess thing uh, I was saying there is, uh, um, I wonder if people accepted Luke as whiny because that was the first character that we were ever really introduced to. If that was that way. And by the time we see it again, there is a bit of a, a been there, done that, in in the sense that oh, it's another whiny character who's about to go on their on their big journey. And uh, well, I well I disagree with that because I think, you know, in, in order to really tell a hero's journey, the hero can't start off as as all heroic, or, or they have to have these these almost annoying character traits, um, for them to really grow. Um, yeah, I, I wonder I, I, if going forward you know with episode seven how they're going to to deal with that um really because i'm sure they don't want to have of course you know disney wants to make a hit of course, everybody wants to make a hit everybody wants it to be a hit um but if they're they, i feel like they almost have to break that mold in order to not be faced with this same kind of criticism well i think the thing with it is the, the whininess as, as we're referring to that ahsoka has and anakin had and luke had it, I, I would sort of think of it more as it's an immaturity, it's a childishness, mm. and I don't think that kids pick up on that to the same extent. It doesn't annoy a child to see someone else act like a child. Yeah. So as the kids that grew up with, with 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 the original trilogy, I mean, I don't think there's anyone that sees the original trilogy for the first time as an adult. You know, even kids born now will see it as a kid, but there's plenty of people who are going to see the prequels and the Clone Wars as an adult the first time, and when it's not already close to your heart and dear to you, that stuff is going to be annoying and whining. But I think you're you're hitting the point exactly. You can't have character development and start with a perfect character because you've got nothing to develop. Yeah. You have to start whiny or immature and lose that. That's what's interesting about the story. Yeah. You know? And possibly possibly with Anakin is that he was built up... You know, we were talking about the prequel Anakin, is that he was built up yeah. so much in the original trilogy that people expected right away to get the Anakin yeah. that we see in this series... And so, I, yeah, maybe that was part of the thing. And with Ahsoka, I I, I hate to bring this up, but I, I almost wonder if there's a bit of a bit of sexism in there, and that it's because she's a girl, and that if she's so whiny as a girl, and to go on this this character journey, people would have been a little bit more accepting of the whininess if 
Ahsoka was a male character. I, I wonder. It's something I've kind of wondered about in the mm. past, and I, I, I'm curious to, as to to know what you guys think of that. Uh, I'd probably say that your point earlier, and you said that people have probably had enough of the whiny characters, makes me think that it wouldn't have mattered if it was a male or female as much. I can see what you mean when Ahsoka in the they may think that Ahsoka's whiny now. Is she ever going to stop being whiny in the future? But I, I just don't think that would have made much of a difference because you can see the backlash that happened with Anakin um, when he was particularly whiny, particularly in Episode Two. Then, uh, I, personally, I think that it would have made made any difference. It just happens to be because it was a whiny character and. The, the people that had, not, had enough of whiny characters, to be honest, and they assumed that she would end up as a whiny character, which was really, you know, you shouldn't think that clearly. Yeah, that's a stupid assumption. I mean, let's be, let's be honest. That's a stupid yeah. assumption. You, you just look at Luke's story. And Luke, look yeah. where they ended up. Exactly. Yeah. So you got to look at where these characters ended up. But that, my opinion would be that it was because it was a whiny character more than it was a, it was a female character. Fair enough. Fair enough. Chris, what about you? I think it probably it probably varies by demographic. Um, I'm speculating, of, of course, but you probably have the, the group of fans who, when they think of Star Wars and think of the Clone Wars, but before, obviously, we had the show, it was this great mysterious war. It was the time that the galaxy changed completely. It's the fall of the Jedi. It's the rise of the Empire. It's this Obi-Wan, you know, before the Clone Wars, and he has the the distant stare in his eye, you know, like he saw some stuff in the Clone Wars. It was his Vietnam kind of thing, you know, and you're expecting this gritty war story. And when you get in and instead you have your little sister <laughs> running with a lightsaber. But that's just, that's just me sort of trying to project and speculate. I think is if you appreciate what Star Wars has always been and it's always had this sort of family sensibility, it's always had heart behind it, even when it's dark, that... The idea of a, of a young, sweet, innocent girl in the middle of this, I think it's what's really genuinely interesting about the Clone Wars, um, for me personally. But yeah, I, I can sort of see how there, there's an argument against her. But yeah, yeah. Well, I quite like the fact that she's young as well, because it just yeah. adds to the idea that the Clone Wars is providing such a strain on the Jedi Order. And there's even a comment made about, you know, aren't you too young to be a Padawan? And there's such a strain now on the Jedi Order that they have to send these young um, Jedi out, well, younger than, they, younger than they should be, really, because they're running out of them. <laughs> they're getting killed off quite quickly, uh, particularly in Geonosis. I mean, loads of them got killed there, didn't they? Yeah, you so, start with 200, you wind, with, wind up with 12, kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So they have to get the younger generation in and teach them earlier and quicker. And also, where, where on earth are these people or the Padawan supposed to be trained because they really have to put them out in the fire, have to get them out early and prepared because there's no real safe place. That There's, there's no... It can't pretend the war's not happening. So I think it just provides a great illustration of the strain of the war on the Jedi and, and the fact that she's so young just adds to... Um, us, particularly as uh, the audience and as the fans, to really bond in a way, 
And imagine if you were a young kid watching this movie, then isn't that the first person that you would bond to? The first person that you could relate to is this young Padawan, basically put it put into the war with very little experience. If you if you're the first if this is the first Star Wars film that you've watched, you're literally being put straight in the middle. You're literally being put into uh, war. You, you don't really know what's going on. So I think, particularly as this younger generation gets older, I think there'll be a totally different perception of Ahsoka's first, um, uh, when she first appeared onto the screen. Yeah, and, you know, Ahsoka's, she kind of grows with the audience. And, uh, yeah. that the target audience for the Clone Wars and we really we see that as the series group goes along and that's what's happened with the other uh, with the with the prequels and the originals um, you know the, the audience grew up with Luke the audience grew up with Anakin um, although I don't recommend anybody um, follow similar life decisions that Anakin makes but you know um, <laughs> yeah she, yeah she um, she was that that sort of entry point for the younger generation and you know, like you said, it is, you know, you're, you're expecting this, you know, big epic war and what do you get? You get a little kid. Um, and, you know, later on in the story, we do get to see that that dark, uh, darkness uh, in the war that would make Obi-Wan look that way in, in episode four, you know, with the slaver's arc in season four and, and so on. Um, so yeah, so you know, it was it was one of those things that I, I almost wondered if she, if she had been a, a male character, if she would have been accepted a little bit more she may have the character would probably have still gotten a fair amount of criticism um just because you know erica doesn't have a padawan or you know it's one too whiny character or, you know but i i do think that the fact that she was female may have you know it, it played with the idea that some people incorrectly have that that star wars is for boys only and they were a bit you know they found her a bit jarring at the beginning and thus she became <laughs> such a uh, a hated character um, by in certain circles. Um, Isn't that what's so, so brilliant about it, though, is that females or young uh, female audience is able then to relate to someone because there really aren't that many female characters in the films that you can oh, do yeah. that with. Absolutely. You've got Leia in the original trilogy and Padme, and that's it. So... And you have to imagine that in the time period of the Clone Wars, if you didn't add someone like that, then all you have is Padme. And a lot of people were indifferent to Padme anyway. Mm -hmm. And I know we were talking about how people were indifferent to Ahsoka, but I think that it's just brought a wider audience, and particularly the younger female audience, would be able to relate to that. And I think that's, that's a very bold and a very, well, proved out to be a very successful move. Yeah, and I think the the more diverse an audience you can have, the the better um, the content is going to be. Um, just you'll be uh, if your audience is is very diverse, male, female, all different um, backgrounds. And if you have such a, a diverse audience, then you I, I think it opens the doors to tell some very interesting stories that you might not get to tell if your audience is all um, you know white men kind of thing uh, if you, <laughs> you open that door up and so I think that that's what Ahsoka was doing and I think some people resisted her at first but then there are the people that followed the series along because you know they have to uh, you know Star Wars is a drug to them and they have to take get every dose of it they can and um, and they followed it along and they grew to love her 
um, the way that that people, you know, that as as a character, um, as she left at the end of season five. Uh, yeah, well, so well, while we're discussing that, I think it's probably worth mentioning and and not to to, to speak for women, but I I know a, a lot of girls that that I know absolutely <laughs> thrilled to see us. I know that was everything. But I, I, I don't want to be accused of anything. I'm not really accused of something. But it, Ahsoka was almost like a breath of fresh air, especially for a lot of female fans. Yeah. To, to finally have a main character that, you know, they potentially relate a bit closer to and that kind of a thing. So just, I, I just wanted to throw that in there because we've absolutely gone at that with a very male thought on, you know, the whole idea of would she have gotten less of, of a feedback if she'd, if she'd been a guy? Well, only from guys. <laughs> I don't even clear that up. <laughs> That's true, yeah. and and I've I've seen some some female fans criticizing the expanded universe for just being one male tough guy after another. Um, well, they should read some of the prequel novels because every single prequel novel is young female Padawan. It's just it's book after book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, let, let's uh, let, let's move on from Ahsoka to some of the other characters that we were introduced to in the um, in the Clone Wars film. Uh, specifically the huts um zero the hut and and, and stinky the hut um so uh zero was a was a unique case because for one he he spoke english or, or excuse me he spoke basic and he spoke in a um very unique way shall we say um that you would that we didn't expect to hear from huts um so what were, what were your initial reactions to zero um uh, chris why don't you go first <laughs> yeah, I, I get all the ways that Zero was controversial, and I totally see that. But I actually love the fact that Zero is he's a hut like Jabba, and apart from in the background of Phantom Menace, he's really the, the first other hut you get to spend any time with, and he is the complete polar opposite of Jabba. And I think that's brilliant. Yeah. You know, he's speaking basic, he's posh and quite camp sounding, but he's also he's clean. He's dyed purple. He's got feathers in his hair. His canteen is brightly lit. It's just, it's just that whole idea of expanding the universe, not not to mention expanding the universe, but just to make things feel bigger and fuller and just, you know, one individual doesn't define a species. And I think that's something across the Clone Wars they did really, really well. I mean, getting ahead of things, but you get to Gan the short, fat, rotund, um, Bosque thing, I've forgotten that species name. Apologies. Oh. But just the idea that you, you see different versions of things and you couldn't have made that clearer. Yeah. Have them just so opposite. <laughs> Plus he was funny. I think he was genuinely very, very funny. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree hundred percent with what you're saying that, you know, he he's a you know, people come in all shapes and sizes and types, so why can't huts? Uh uh Kieran, what about you? Uh what were your initial reactions yeah, sorry, to zero? I was laughing in the background there. Um but I, I'm laughing because I really do. Whenever I see Zero, he does make me laugh, and not in a, not in a way that I'm laughing at him, but more that because he was he was just a funny character, and he brought something very different that hadn't really been there in a Star Wars universe. And as you say, Chris, it was the first time that you really had this concept that one one example of. Um, I'm trying to think of exactly how to say this. So, for example, Jabba the Hutt, he doesn't define a species. Not all huts are like Jabba the Hutt. And that, that, that's what you got from that. And 
I really enjoyed his character up to a point that when he actually got killed off, I was really, really gutted that he got killed off because I thought he was just starting to become a fan favourite. I know a lot of people, again, linked on to some of the backlash of this film, was a bit like, oh my God, he's talking English, he's like this, he's he's got a camp voice. And I, I just thought it was fantastic. I, I didn't have a problem with it at all. And um, his character... Also, he had that hot trait. He was evil, you know. He was, he was exploiting the situation to his advantage, um, and he was working with Count Dooku. And so, I thought his character um, provided a very intriguing story, and I didn't think that lessened it at all. I still think he was a very, very. Um, in the end, he became an under, underdeveloped and underused character. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I actually think the language thing makes a lot of sense just sorry, sorry to jump in but yeah, go for J- Jabba's out there on the outer rim on Tatooine and speaking Hattese where he is the law out on Tatooine he makes the rules and if he says you're speaking Hattese in, in his chamber you're speaking Hattese whereas the zero he's on Coruscant he's working with corrupt politicians fallen Jedi Count Dooku whoever else so he has to speak basic to get on in, in, the, in his sort of crime circles versus Jabba's zero seems a lot less like a lot less the dictator you get an impression that Jabba's in charge, where you just get the impression that Zero to be connected, he can get things done, but he doesn't have the same legions. He's not sitting in a palace, you know. He's in a nightclub. Yeah, definitely. He's like, yeah, you know, he. I I I don't understand the, the the problem that people really had with with Zero, unless, you know, you're if you if you, I, I get that he he challenged what people think of Huts. You know, people have always thought of Huts as all exactly like Jabba. And so you get this one that isn't like Jabba. Um, what you're doing is you're expanding the universe and you know people people are resistant to change. It's just a you know it's a general thing that most people can that people can be resistant to change. Yeah, I don't want things to change, but you can't stop the change. You know? Sort of it's it's that kind of idea. And by expanding the universe I think you make Star Wars a better a, a bigger and better picture than it than it was before. And so, yeah, I, I've never had any problems with Zero. I, I, I don't, I don't know if I was in the camp that he was my favorite character, but I certainly wasn't when he came on screen. I wasn't like, oh no, not Zero. I was, oh, okay, Zero's on screen. That's cool. You know. I think I perceive him now more as a rogue cut in a way. Yeah. He's he he's he's different from the whole hot crime world. I believe um, you can kind of see how he's different. When in an arc later on, I think in the Hunt for Zero episode, I think it is, yeah. when he's actually brought before the Hut Council, and you can see they're all in a line, and they all have similar, similar colours to each other, where he's purple, he's extravagant, he's different. And that's what I liked about him, was that he wasn't the same, and that he was unique. And that's sometimes what you need. Not every person is going to be... No character is exactly the same. No human character in the Star Wars universe is the same. So why is it that when you see one uh, species, a bit like Watto, when you see him as the um, junk dealer, uh, why does everyone have to be like that? Why does uh, every one of Watto's species have to be like that? And, uh, and that was like an ambush when they saw him as, as a king. They were like, what? You know, he can't have that. So that's what I liked about Zero, was that he was unique the start of that process really totally. I think you've touched on sort of the, the value of having Zero be so different 
whenever we see sort of is it the hut council they call it later on yeah and some of them are radically different shapes to jabba and zero some of the big square heads some with bigger faces some have monocles and animals for hair and <laughs> i think they're fantastic they're really really great but i think if you hadn't already had this here zero is completely different that's our whole mix that that would have been a bit more jarring but as it was having already seen the extremes of jabba and at all the way through to zero you're instantly accepting of that hut council. It just made sense and it worked. Mm-hmm. But I think we would be having this conversation about them if not for zero. If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you're, you're, you're what you're saying is like he opened the door for our huts of all shapes and sizes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Kieran, do you have anything to uh, to add about the the Clone Wars movie? Um, I suppose the villain side. I haven't really touched on it, <laughs> but. Ventress and Dooku, that's really interesting how they're introduced because this is really, I know we've seen in a uh, what was it, Tartakovsky series with Ventress, but it's the first time uh, when we first see her in the movie that she's, she's properly introduced and I, I know we're going chronologically so we have seen her in Hidden Enemy but it, when I was, I was watching that recently, the, the Clone Wars movie and from everything that we know about her now, it's really really interesting now to see how she started off and how she is clearly that that um assassin um, the, the one who who really had um well she she did what dooku said it seemed at that time that uh that's all she was she yeah. was just there to do dooku's bidding and there really was no substance to her character at that point yeah I, and sorry jump in there. yeah sorry to cut you off but i i, I agree with you in in that sense um, that you know she was there, Duke Duke's bidding. There was nothing more to that, but I I never got the sense that she was this super skilled assassin. I mean, she was skilled enough to hold her own, but my issue with Ventress is that we never saw her succeed, and I think that we needed her to to see her succeed in some even smallish way, other than you know, uh, I, I guess she does rescue Newt Gunray, but uh, but other than that. Uh, I always felt like she always lost in the fights. She always, you know, and then in season three in Night Sisters, you know, Dooku going on, she's, she's my most pri- prized assassin. She's the best and she can do anything I want and blah, 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 blah. And I, I sort of felt like, no, I don't, don't really see that. And, uh, you know, this, this story, you know, started her off in a, in knowing where she, she winds up, you know, it is a, a, a great starting point is like, she's just being used by Dooku. But I, I never saw her as the big scary villain that I, I think she could have been. No, I can totally see where you're coming from. I mean, in a way, she was underused in that respect. Yeah. Because we didn't actually get to see her win. Whereas, say, General Grievous, when we first see him in a, um, I keep his name wrong, Tarkovsky is that? Tarkovsky, yeah. Tarkovsky. When we see Grievous for the first time, he totally annihilates the Jedi, doesn't he? Yeah. He, he, he's, he's just a brute force, and and I think that was one of the reasons when we saw him in Revenge of the Sith, people thought, what? You know, this is one of the Grievous that we saw in, the, or who, those who did see the cartoon. This isn't, this isn't the Grievous that we saw. Yeah, so, and, and I think Grievous's his character is different. Is he is built up as a coward as he's going to run away yeah. as soon as things, uh, you know, don't go, start to go well, the other yeah. person's way. I could totally agree with you there. If we hadn't seen the Tarnakovsky series of Grievous and we had just seen the movie in this one, 
who'd have thought what's all the hype about? Yeah. <laughs> have thought, this guy is just absolutely useless. But to, to, <laughs> to, to be fair, we do see Grievous um, kill um, Nadar Veb in Grievous' uh, lair of Grievous. One, isn't he? Um, well, no, he's, no, he's a full-on Jedi. He's a full-on Jedi. He's a Jedi Knight, yeah. He, he was Kit Fisto's Padawan, but he had graduated by that point to full-on Yeah, night. but up to that point, though, he'd failed in the Malevolence arc. Yeah. He'd failed in a droid arc. Yeah. He kept on running away. And I, I don't see that. A bit like when, you know, when Dooku in the episode was like, oh, you killed the Jedi Masters. Oh, no, I killed the Padawan. He was like, oh, is that it? That's kind of how Dooku was taking it. Is that, oh, you killed a Padawan. So that there is room for improvement. Yeah. Well, that's how I see Grievous, was that, all the time that he was, particularly in the first season, in the later seasons, I admit, particularly season two, I think he was used effectively. But in the first season, I thought, all he does is run away. I haven't seen him win. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. That's my opinion of Grievous. But anyway, we kind of um, went on a sidetrack there. But, um, yeah, what's your opinion on Ventress then, uh, Chris? Um, I really like the character of Ventress, and I guess... I probably did go into the movie the first time weighted by the Tartakovsky series. Cause, I, mean, I think those parts of Ventress's story aren't necessarily uh, contradicted by the movie. Yeah. So he's already knew a little bit, and, and I knew it from comics going in. Um, but you guys are right. You, I mean, at this stage, we're, we're still three seasons away from her actually having any character development. Right now, she's a threat and a challenge and something for the heroes to develop their characters as they overcome what she throws at them. And that's really all she's doing at this stage. Um, I do absolutely love the stuff, though, where is it Obi-Wan's calling her darling during the fight? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's absolutely fantastic. And I would love to know, is that in the script, or was that a James Earl Taylor ad lib, or, or where that came from? Because it's, it's priceless. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so Obi-Wan, you know? Yeah. It's the, I, I don't know. It's, it, it, but it, like you said, it's brilliant. And it, and like, it sets up what we see in, in Revenge in Season 4 so well. And I, yeah. I think that's what made that episode work. I do love that shot in the film, though, when it has Ventress, Dooku, and Sidious all in that in that little dark room. Yeah. Uh, those two come up holograms. Like we know what happens later. Um, I, would, I, w- I would have liked to see Sidious more in the movie, but I do like how that all works out, considering in the future um, what happens when Sidious decides to get rid of this assassin. Yeah. Um, I mean, you say you say that she was not a good assassin, but then why? Sidious must have seen something in her. Well, must have realised that she was a threat. I, I think to want to get rid of her at that point. I think I think what Sidious wanted. I think Sidious saw as a as enough of a threat that if he waited any longer, if he let her stick around any longer, then that she would become powerful enough to team up with Dooku and take him out. Um, you know, I, like you said, I love that scene in the in the foreshadowing that she sh- just sort of she backs and she goes into the background that she can't face Sidious and you know that she really isn't supposed to be there and then eventually Sidious orders her death. Um, but I, I, yeah, I think that Ventress on her own isn't powerful enough to take out Sidious. Um, she even she isn't even powerful enough to take out Dooku as we see in, in season three. Um, but if she teamed up with um you know with dooku then possibly there's a chance that they could take out sidious um you know she's leaps and bounds ahead of savage press so if it had been 
Darth Maul and Dasaj Ventress fighting Sidious, then I think you have uh, at least a longer fight there, and possibly um, them prevailing. And I see that with with Dooku as well. Dooku and Ventress. So would you say that the team up of Dooku and Ventress would have offered a a greater challenge for Sidious than Opress and Maul together? Yes. Um, I think... Dooku and, and Maul are on a pretty even scale. Maybe you put Maul a little ahead of Dooku. But Ventress is, is leaps and bounds ahead of Savage, as as we see. Um, and I don't think... And, you know, Savage... Really? He, he, he doesn't... He had In no season three? Enough. In season three? Yeah. I, I think she, he, she was uh, ahead of Savage. I, I do think that. Um, what about in, uh, in the uh, Witches of the Mist episode? Yeah. And Savage, just that brute thing, just forced, pushes both of them away. That's true. Um, but he doesn't kill them. I mean, he's able to get them away so he can run. Um, he doesn't, you know, he's able to force push them both away. Uh, but if if the fight had continued, I mean, Duke would have just electrocuted him to death, <laughs> as we saw. Yeah, Prius and a lightsaber fight is more than just raw strength. Uh, I think maybe the Maul and Savage might have an edge strength-wise because they're t- savage beasts, but I think Star Wars makes big reference, you know, it's all about focus, calm, clear your mind, and, and that applies to the dark side as well to, to an extent. I think Dookie's ability to calm and center himself makes him probably the most powerful of the lot, re- regardless of actual talent in this fight. He likes thank you, and, and that's what it really comes down to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, so that's just me being controversial, I, I, would, I would disagree <laughs> with you. I, I think that more than oppressed in terms of lightsaber skills would offer a greater challenge than Dooku and Ventress. And I still think that even had Dooku been in a fight, his force skills still no way challenge Palpatine. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, no, no definitely. I, yeah. I think the whole thing is, you know, the reason the Sith need, you know, the whole thing about the rule of two is that the, the apprentice will overthrow the master, but Sidious is so powerful that they, they the the apprentices they need to basically, you know, break the rule to an extent and and train their own apprentice on the side if they ever want to have a of a, of a hope of overthrowing Sidious. And the only one who who really had a chance of overthrowing Sidious would have been um, Anakin Vader, um, you know, before he was in the suit. Um, mm. If you had been able to you know clear his mind and center himself, then I definitely think he could have at least given Sidious a run for his money, if not beat him. Um, but you know, once we could see that in episode three, that yeah. Mace Windu nearly beat him. In my opinion, I think it wasn't that Palpatine was acting; he was actually struggling. Uh, and yeah, I, 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 I think so. I see that. Yeah, I'm, that's a whole second, podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sorry. <laughs> we'll have to do a maybe when we maybe to wrap up the the show once we run out of Clone Wars episodes, we'll do episode three. And that yeah. is a whole, oh, that's a whole different can of worms. Um, that would be really interesting actually to review episode three. <laughs> yeah, in the context of the Clone Wars. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I think I was watching uh, episode three not too long ago. And I think that first, you know, half an hour of the movie is a damn good Clone Wars episode. Yeah. <laughs> exactly the same for the last twenty minutes of Attack of the Clones. Yeah. yeah same. It, it, exactly. Definitely. Exactly. Um, sure. For sure. 
Sad. Any, anything else about the um, the Clone Wars movie, uh, Kieran? Uh, probably not, no. Uh, Chris, do you have anything you'd like to add about the movie? Any sort of... Uh, not, not, not on any specific moment of the movie, just sort of an overall. I mean, looking back on it now, I mean, that movie is, it's far from perfect. It is three or four episodes cut together and the animation and it's essentially pilot episodes of the TV show, so it had ways to move and, and grow. Mm-hmm. But I think all these years did I have such a, a soft spot for that movie. It was such an exciting time when that first came out. And I know you guys weren't actually, some of you guys weren't actually aware there was a series coming, but for me, it was just. Star Wars can be a TV series now. They can do these kind of things. You can have battles. You can have lightsaber fights. And I think it really proved itself. Yeah. I think it really held up. And it just it sort of set a standard. It let us know what to expect and what to come. And walking out of the theater the first time, it's absolutely buzzing. So I just, yeah, I'll, I'll always have a fun spot for this film. Yeah, definitely. Me too. Me too. I think um, just for what what it started off, what it what it launched. Yeah. And I, I think that's that's really the... The, the best thing about the movie. Um, not to say that the we're movie talking, uh, Sorry to butt in. I was going to say, when we were talking about the whole format and saying the significance if it had been on television instead of film, as much as it might not have got as much backlash, I still think that it was important it came onto the film first because it really opened up um, people's eyes uh, one, that Star Wars was back, whether they liked it or not, and two, that it put them... Uh, it, it w- of course, they would have looked at the end of that and thought, well, this can't be it, and they would have looked, and then it would have been on the TV, and they would have gone to watch the TV, whereas if it had just started on a TV, would it have got as much of an audience as it did if they hadn't seen the film or at least seen a trailer, at least seen something to indicate that uh, the series had begun. I, I, I still think that it was good that it came out as a movie rather than on a television because for me personally, I might not have known about the series until a long way down if I hadn't seen the movie first. Yeah, yeah. Well, me too. I, I was obviously quite negative on, on, on that one earlier in the show here, but I mean, I, I can absolutely see why they put it in, this, in, in the theatres and it does... Like I was saying it's all about putting on the right stage, and I don't necessarily think it was necessarily up to the stage, but it does. It sets that expectation. It, it shows that Lucasfilm and George and Filoni they're they're serious about this, and and they want it to be viewed in the same level as Star Wars. And I also have a lot of respect for the pride they had in their work. They wanted to put it in the cinema, and I, it was. And I'm glad they did it that way. I just think they would have had an easier life <laughs> if they'd done it the other way. <laughs> Yeah, I'm definitely. I think uh, I, I agree with you 100 percent there. Um, so I think I think now is the time to uh, to wrap up the first episode. Um, and what an episode it has been! If this is uh, any indication of the, the rest of this series, I mean, it's uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for for being on the first episode, and hopefully we'll have you back sooner rather than later because you, you yeah. brought a lot of great insight. Oh, thanks, guys, and. Uh always happy to talk about the Clone Wars. I, I think it's, it's a real testament to the show that that movie was 2008 and we're still managing to fill an hour and a half talking about it in 2013. So I would love to come back and I'm looking forward to watching through the rest of the, the story arcs with you. Yeah, definitely. And and Kieran, episode one, uh, uh, did this live up to what you hoped, <laughs> hoped it would be? Well, yeah, and surpassed it, to be honest. I mean... You told me for two hours about it. Yeah, <laughs> it's been fantastic though, just getting people's different opinions on it. 
because it happened su- such a long time ago, and I think what this is going to make this podcast different from some of the other podcasts is that I'm actually going to go through in chronological order rather than having to go one place and then come back. It's, it's, it's good to have it as an overall story arc rather than just doing it as single episodes because there's no point in denying that. We know what happens. So there's no point in going episode by episode. We talk about the arc as a whole. There's a lot more to talk about and it's so much more interesting and some of the points that you made were some some points that i didn't think about when you have to think of it as an arc for example we said the hidden enemy as an overall arc probably the clone story in that what didn't make uh, as much of an impact as it would have done had it been later or as an arc on its own so that was what was really intriguing and uh, it was Great, just talking Star Wars with you guys as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you 100%. I, it, just discussing it and looking back on it, just it opens your eyes up, or opened my eyes up to many new ideas I hadn't considered when the, the series was first on five years ago. Uh, so that that pretty much wraps up this show. Um, don't forget, you can you can email us if uh, your opinions on uh, the Hidden Enemy, Cat and Mouse, the Clone Wars movie, or any other episodes that are coming up i think uh next up we have ambush supply lines that kind of stuff uh, the um, malevolence trilogy um if you have opinions on those by all means uh send them to us we'll uh and we'll read some of them on the show so that's a uh, clone wars strikes back at gmail.com you can email us them uh your opinion there um you can like our facebook page the clone wars strikes back uh, just search that on Facebook or go to facebook.com slash the Clone War Strikes Back. And you can follow us on Twitter at TCW Strikes Back. Um, don't forget to subscribe to the Star Wars Underworld podcast on iTunes. That's where you'll be able to find this show and the Star Wars Underworld podcast, the weekly show, which is hosted by myself uh, and Chris Siegel and Benjamin Hart. And that's where we go over all the latest breaking Star Wars news. Lots of Episode 7 rumors. Uh, and that show is recorded live every thursday at 9 p.m eastern um and between episodes be sure to check out starwarsunderworld.com for all the latest breaking news including any updates we get about that much awaited clone wars bonus content so thank you everyone for listening thank you chris and kieran for being on this week uh and may the force be with you